Hi, this is Dana Crucioli, and you're listening to Improv Nerd with Jimmy Corain. Jimmy, Jimmy Corain, Jimmy Corain's a nerd. Jimmy Corain's an improv nerd. Jimmy Corain's a nerd. Hey everybody, this is Jimmy Corain, and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd, sponsored by Under the Gun Theater. Are you thinking about coming to Chicago to do an improv intensive this summer? Well, if that's the case, then I want you to check out the improv boot camps offered by Under the Gun Theater. Improv boot camps maximize your reps with smaller class sizes, a team of teachers, and a focus on practicing skills. They have a boot camp just for new improvisers and another for advanced players. This summer, get in the best improv shape of your life with Under the Gun. Go to underthegunntheater.com. That's underthegunntheater.com. Also, check out my award-winning improv classes and workshops here in Chicago, The Art of Slow Comedy. Starting uh, April 15th, I'll be offering an advanced ensemble class. It's limited to 12. And then on April 25th, we'll be offering an Art of Slow Comedy intensive. So for more information, just go to jimmycorain.com. That's jimmycorain.com. Yep, we got another great episode for you of Improv Nerd. Our guest today is Dana Curcioli. Now, she's a well-respected teacher and improviser, performing at I.O. Chicago and the Second City. She is the second youngest person to be on a main stage over there. We talked to her about getting her dream job when she was so young, driving from Cleveland to Chicago every Sunday to take classes at I.O., and what she'd like to do next. Now, before we get to this interview with Dana, I just want to, I've come to this realization about myself, and, and I don't know if I like it or not, but I'm not really a competitive person, and, and, and um, I know how to quit on myself. I've got that down pretty well, but to, to be like, to compete against people, I, I just, I don't know how to do it in a healthy way, because when I go out and I'm really competitive, it's, one, it's no fun, and two, I never get it. I never get the part, I never get the, you know, the award or whatever it is. So competition has not been, like, something that I've been very good at. And I never had parents that were, like, you know, that would push me, you know, to be competitive. You know, if anything, they'd say, you know, if it was too hard, quit. So that's, that's the kind of fuck-up you're dealing with. So when I get an audition for a TV or film part here in Chicago, and we are getting a lot more, uh, unfortunately, I'm not getting called in enough, so I have a lot of resentment about that. Um, but when I do get called in, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm fine until I get to the waiting room of the casting agent's office, and I see all the other actors who are there for the same part that I am. And immediately, I, I want to I, I flee. I want to run. I want to quit. Or in my head I go, you know what, that guy, he should really get the part because he has two kids. Or, or that guy should get the part because, you know what, I, I heard he, he's, he was sick for a couple months. Or, or that guy, he, he should get the part because he really hasn't gotten a break. I, I take myself out of it. I mean, I, I have st- I've lost it right in the waiting room. So the other day, my, my therapist, my crazy, crazy shrink here in Chicago... I brought it up. I'm like, I, I, I'm either in denial about com- competitiveness. I, I, I don't know if I'm competitive or, or what. And he said, you know what? And, and he said, you are the most competitive being the most non-competitive person I know. So basically, he said, I'm very competitive of, be- of, of, of being non-competitive, which 
it's sad to say, but it's absolutely true, and it's gotten me nowhere. Enough about me. Here it is, the Dana Crucioli episode. Enjoy. Jimmy's a nerd. He's a nerd. Oh, yeah. Jimmy's a nerd. He's a nerd. I love you, Dana. We've gotten to work together, and I, I didn't know you until a couple years ago, and you, you, just so much fun to work with. Hey, thanks. Um, so let's start. About, you're welcome. You grow up outside of Cleveland, a very close-knit Italian family. Mm-hmm. And at 11 years old, your father dies suddenly of a heart attack. Yes. How did that affect you? Um, well, it, it, was, it was horrible. It was, uh, it was really bad. Um, but at his funeral, I kind of came to the conclusion. Like, I looked around and I saw that everybody was so sad. And I was just like, oh, no, I don't want this. So I decided then that I wanted to be a comedian. So it was, it had a profound impact on me in so many different ways, but not the least of which is that that was a day where I was like, this is what I'm going to do. What, did your mom go into mourning? Was it really a sad time? Yeah, I, my mom is still kind of in mourning. It's been, it's been almost 25 years. Like, you know, it's, um, yeah, <laughs> she did. Everybody did. And did you take the role on in the house when you realized it at the funeral? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring joy to the house. I'm going to bring the funny. Yeah, um, I have this um, need to um, not let people down. And so that played very well into my, like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to. How does that look, not that. letting people down? Uh, it's, it's horribly disappointing because okay. no matter what you do, you know, you can't be perfect. Nobody's perfect. Now, are you worried, like, today, like, you don't want to let me down in this interview? I mean, the... yeah. Okay. Because what if this one's a dud? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you started at Eastern Michigan State University. Yeah. And you were uh, 18, and you get accepted into the Disney College program. Yeah. What did you do there in, at Disney? I had the most fun of my life. It was so much fun. And, I, you know, some people are like, oh, you're brainwashed. Maybe I am a little bit, but I had so much fun. I met wonderful, pe- like-minded people, and it was like college with no school, so it was just like uh, really fun. And you know, like you get to work, and your job, all you have to do that day is like make people smile. So it was so much fun. So what what was your specific job? Um, I gave tours through the House of the Future at Interventions East in Epcot Center. <laughs> Futuristic home products. I <laughs> showcased them. And, and so you would do that, but that would only take like 15 minutes, right? Yeah. And then what would you do with the time in between? Well, so I don't know if you guys know this, but at Disney there are tunnels. Um, and even Epcot has like kind of crummier tunnels. I don't know if I'm... Am I going to be shot for saying this? No. <laughs> but um, there's, uh, there's tunnels. And so underneath the Epcot tunnel, I, I think it's not there anymore. There was uh, this place called the Strike Zone, which was like a pool table, a dartboard, um, like video games, and a big, huge TV. But only access to people that worked at Disney. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, my friend Pete and I would like stack our tours back to back. So I would do like eight minutes of time in the lobby, like talking to people, 15-minute tour, which you know I tried to, I was like, I'm going to get this down to 12. Like, I, like, that was your to, motivation <laughs> yeah. as an actor? It was Let's like, see how fast we can get through this. These poor people come all the way from Iowa, and you're like, I think we can get it down to six. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were horrible. We used to, like, hide, um, you know those, like, wooden sailors that are at rich people's houses? You know those, like, little? <laughs> no, what are those? What, there's, what, like, what, there's, like, little wooden, like, oh, there's, like little figures. Pipes. Yeah, <laughs> little figures. Like, yeah. they look like they've been cut, cut like someone carved them. Yes. Yeah. And so Pete and I would go through before the other ones tour and like hide them all over the place. So not only did we have to see how fast we could do the tour, but you had to find as many of those sailors as you could. So it was people probably thought we were crazy because it was like 
And, uh, here's the uh, Apollo Showtime oven. This could cook a turkey in less than a minute. And you're like scanning for these stupid sailors. Which did, were almost did, always. What kind of rules? Didn't Disney like you couldn't have facial hair? You could only wear. Wasn't there strict rules? Yeah, you you have to be very clean cut. Um, uh, which was no problem for me. Like my, you know, I'm I'm not super. <laughs> no. I'm pretty plain. So, um, you know, like the they they could send a man home early for five o'clock shadow. Like you 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 have to be like clean cut and perfect. Like so in the vending machines in the tunnels, there's not like snacks. There's like pantyhose and razors and deodorant and all of these. There's a whole things. world down below, right? Yeah. The uh, the tunnels of the Magic Kingdom are way cooler than Epcot. What's in the Magic Kingdom? Oh man, there's a bank down there. Are you there's serious? A, yeah. <laughs> okay. There's a bank, there's um there's a, like a barber shop, like a salon, and there's a cafeteria. And like on on special occasions, there would be like cuz I I remember one of them was Mother's Day. So you'd go down, like, and that's really where costuming is, too. So you'd go, like, get your costume on. Um, and then you'd see, like, the guy, the guy who plays Mickey Mouse without the head, right? Yeah, it's almost all. I, I, I'm going to stop. Because okay. uh, <laughs> I'm going to get sued, I think. Okay. Um, but uh, I'll tell you later. Okay, I'll tell you great. Later. So, uh, yeah, you'd go down there, and then, like, if it was Mother's Day, they had, like, stations so that you could, like, send flowers to somebody. Because they're like, we work crazy hours. They're going to need a bank. They're going to need a salon. They're going to need to eat. They're going to need to send flowers to their mom. Did people party down there? I mean, was there a lot of partying at Disney, like drugs and drinking? There, the place that I stayed when I was down there, Playboy magazine did a survey, and it was like the number one place to hook up. <laughs> <laughs> but I was such a huge nerd that like, I went down there and had a steady boyfriend for three months. So, so you left the Disney program uh, because your, your grandfather was having open-heart surgery. Yeah. So you go back... To Cleveland, yeah. and you get into community college, uh -huh. and you do a, a death of a salesman. You're like 19 at this time. Yeah. What happened uh, doing death of a salesman? Um, so the so the guy, as you know, the women have a lot of downtime in that play, yeah. unless you're Linda, which I was not. Um, Who was Linda in that play? Oh my God, I don't remember. Okay. She was really great. So. Okay. <laughs> no, but I mean the character. I don't. Oh, Linda Loman, uh, Willie Loman's wife. Okay, yeah. So it's like. Linda Lohman, and then the, the mistress that he sleeps with, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it. <laughs> and then there's two other girls, and I was one of those two girls. I had like four lines, maybe, maybe even not. I might have had two. And uh, so there was a lot of downtime. So we're goofing off, you know, backstage, and the guy who played Willie Lohman was the lead instructor at the Second City Cleveland, and so, which I didn't even know about because it was poorly promoted. Um, and so he was like, you're funny, you should take classes. Second City, and I was like, okay. So I did. So, like, if I hadn't done that, I don't know where I'd be. Probably still at Disney World. So, uh, so somewhere down in the tunnels. Somewhere. <laughs> so you started taking classes at Second City Cleveland. Yeah. And as soon as you finished classes, I think, what are you, like 21 or 22 at this time? I was 22. 22. You get on, you're cast uh, for the main stage in Cleveland. Yeah. And uh, you're doing eight shows a week, um, and you're getting paid. What did you get paid in those days? Do you remember? Oh my God. I think it was like $55 a show, maybe maybe more. After taxes, I think it wound up being like $55. So you had to, how did you feel at that point? I mean. Well, I was like, this is it. You know, like, I, I knew I wanted to be a comedian. I knew I wanted to be an actress as well. And so I was like, well, this is amazing. I mean, I think that the first time I improvised, um, the first time I improvised, I stepped on stage and was like, 
oh, oh, here you are. Like, you know, it, it, like in that, in that scene from Hook when that little boy's like pushing his face back and he's like, oh, there you are, Peter. That's when I found out who I was. Like I stepped foot on it and I was like, oh, this is where I need to be. So super cool. Do you look back at those times and go, my God, I, here I was 22 years old. I was making money at it. Yeah, and the fact that I was allowed to be considered a professional anything at 22 was outstanding. Because I'm a huge idiot. Anybody that knows me? What do you mean when you say you're a huge idiot? Like, I don't know how to, like, control my own life. Like, I'm just, like, if, if I am not careful, I can, like, like, I'm, not, I'm finally, like, making money for the first time in my life. And if I'm not careful, I will have no savings. Cause, just because I'm like, this would be fun, wouldn't it? And, like... We should rent an electric boat and go on the lake. Because like, I, like, I never got to do that because we were like super poor. So now that I'm like making a little bit of money, I'm, I should be very careful with it. Were you guys super poor? How, like, how poor were you guys? Um, my dad was a truck driver. And my mom, before like truck driving was like a big make money job, like my dad was like a dock worker and a truck driver. Um, I'm sorry. Do I sound like a chainsaw right now? No, your voice is, it has like a sexy quality to it. Don't okay. You think? Hi, everyone. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, like I, you know, my my mom did a great job of like never letting us know exactly how poor we were. But looking back on it, I'm like, oh god, we were poor. Um, now, so you're at the main stage, and you meet yeah. someone who's very important in your life, Colleen Doyle. Yeah. And you guys become best friends. Yeah. And you guys are still close, very close today. Yeah, in a, in a way, Colleen is my soulmate. And how did you, um, uh, how did you guys become good friends? We became friends, so we got hired. She got hired too on the Second City Mainstay. Yeah, in Cleveland. Uh huh. And so we, I didn't really know her, and then we took a plane ride here to do like workshops and meet people in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And on the flight here, like a forty-five minute Southwest flight, we became best friends. And um, uh, so you guys are like really good friends, mm -hmm. and then after a couple reviews, mm -hmm. doing say you get both you and Colleen get fired. They like get rid of six of the eight members of the cast. Right? Yeah, we got shit canned. Yeah, Do you <laughs> how you say that like flippantly, but what happened? Um, there, I mean, it's such a long, long story. You know, looking back on it, I don't think um, I don't think the production was handled very well on the on the producer's end of it. Um, and I think there was some kind of venom in the cast, like a couple people were sleeping together that shouldn't have been and whatever. And, and so that kind of poisoned um, the rest of the experience. And I know that like, so of the original eight of us, six were let go. And um, you know, it is what it is. And like looking back, I don't think anybody was the best version of themselves. So I think that's the most diplomatic way I can say it. Like nobody was, I, won't, I do not include Colleen and I in this. <laughs> we were perfect. Um, but I don't think, I, don't, I think the, the, the people that were causing the problems weren't the best versions of themselves. And so everybody kind of went down in flames. Are the people that caused the problems, are they still, in the, still improvising and stuff? Some of them. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so that happens. And so when you get fired, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, cause he oh my god, I was devastated. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even go back and get our stuff. Um, Colleen had to do it, and that was like the like the best instance of her taking care of me in in such a great friend way. Because I was like, I can't go back in there, and she was like, I'll go. 
and like just took it on the chin. I mean, she, she, she was just as devastated as I was. We were, we love that place. We used to get to work early and watch old reviews backstage like, in the green room. Like on videotapes. Yeah. And we just loved it. I mean, to us, it was like we had to work with our best friend. We had to do this job. We had to improvise every night. People come. The theater was like built for us. It was like brand new. Um, so I think it was a little field of dreams-ish for the two of us. Um, so we were devastated. But, you know, whatever, you bounce back. And, do, and at that point, are you like, oh, that's it. I'm never going to work at Second City again? No. I made a pact with Colleen. Like an idiot. But if I never had done this, I wouldn't be here. Okay. So, I mean, I wouldn't be dead. But right. Like. <laughs> um, hold on. So you make this pact with Colleen. Yeah. So we made a pact because we saw that things were kind of going sour with everybody else. So we were like, if anything happens, we'll move to Chicago. And we shook on it. And of course, I was like so blissfully ignorant that I was like, this will never happen. Right. So as soon as we got let go, the first thing I said was like, Oh shit! I have to move to Chicago now because we shook on it. But but what's <laughs> which does not? I I'm a woman to... of my word. Jane. Right, right, right. Uh, and where do you get that uh, loyalty? Is that from your family? Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, you guys were, were at that time before moving to Chicago. Weren't you guys driving down here? Can you just tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, this we were is so crazy. Stupid. We were so crazy. Stupid. You think it's stupid? I mean, it was like looking back on it. It wasn't. It was what we needed to do because we were we were heartbroken, you know, um, from Second City, and we found IO, and we found a Sunday class. I'm gonna. And you're and just so you know, you guys are still living at Cle in Cleveland. We're still living in Cleveland. Um, and we found a Sunday class at, at noon. So we would get in the car at like 6 o'clock in the morning, drive six hours to Chicago, take a three-hour class, and then drive six hours back. That is just crazy. It's stupid, right? How long did you do that before you moved? Um, we did it for all of level one. So eight weeks. Okay, and then you come here and you start classes at level one. Yeah. And you don't tell anybody that you've done main stage in Cleveland. Right, we didn't want to be dicks about it. it but why, why didn't you want anyone to know? Well, because I think uh, something that Colleen and I both agreed on very early on was, like, we weren't going to be gross. Like, we're not going to be gross people. You know, we're just going to come, we're going to get to work, we're going to keep our head down, and we're going to let what we do speak for itself. And so we didn't think walking in... To a brand new, you know, city, and a, with a brand new set of would be will be friends, um, to be like, oh, us, we were on the main sta stage of a theater that's going to be closed in a year. So we just were like, keep keep it but quiet. But your cover does get blown. Get to work. Our cover got. How blown. does it get blown? Um, I think one of our friends, because because it was um, Colleen, me, um, my our good friend John, my ex boyfriend Jim, and um, a friend a friend named Dan. We were driving in every week, and I think John, I think John let it slip. It was completely accidental. Mm -hmm. like he wasn't trying to be a jerk, but. And then, then so, but Sharna finds out, right? Sharna found out, I think, in level two. And then, what? Did, what was her reaction to that? Well, she was like, "Oh, well." On day one, she was like, "Colleen and I got up and we did a scene," and she, Sharna, like, did not expect that in level one, and so she was like, "Oh, there's some pretty good girls in this class." <laughs> And so we were like, shh, shh, shh. Um, And then when we, like, later she found out, she was like, oh, why didn't you tell me? And we were like, we don't want to be dicks about it. 
And then uh, she 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 recognizes your talent, and then she puts she puts you or forces you on a team uh, with Danny Mora, Ryan Archibald. I mean, these people are amazing. Yeah. Craig Euler, Hans Holson, Dan Bacadol, Bill Arnott, and Alex Fendrich. And Andy Sinclair. And Andy, I, I mean, that's like those are that's some major talent. Yeah. It was basically thirty thirty three, and two girls that were forced to be on the team. <laughs> and what was that like? Because a lot of people will have resentment if they're forced on a team. Yeah, Danny, Danny, we joke about it now, but Danny did not want us on that team. He was like, I don't even know these girls. Who are these girls? They're babies, Sharna. Why are you putting these girls on this team? And, you know, Sharna was just like, forget it. This is my theater. It's happening. And then we had so much fun. So, like, we bonded with them immediately, and it was great. But and, um, So the first show was fine in the rehearsals? Yeah, yeah it was so much fun. Okay, and they, they just accepted you? Yeah, I think it was like at first, it was very much like, oh. and then we started playing with them, and it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Way um, cooler. And then you also said at this time that you didn't want to go, you're in Chicago, you're living here now. Mm -hmm. You don't want anything to do with Second City. You don't want to go into that building. Why well, was that? It was less of that and more of we didn't know that we'd ever be welcome back there. We didn't think we were ever going to work with them again because they fired us. But little do people know, that doesn't really mean much. When Second City fires you, it doesn't mean that much, actually. Because <laughs> there's people that have been fired many times. Many and, times. Yeah, and still go back there and get yeah. a paycheck. Hell yeah. Um, so then you do go back to Second City and uh, you, you get hired for the touring company. Yeah. What, what made you decide to go back? Um, I think I just was like, well, why the hell not? <laughs> and is Colleen in on this, too? Yeah. yeah. So she's like, okay, let's go and... Yeah, but we did... Um, we, I think we auditioned in different groups. And oh, so you auditioned in. for Tour, tour Co? Mm -hmm. And then what happened? I got in. Okay. Well, what about Colleen? <laughs> Colleen also got hired. Okay. To be, we were both hired as understudies. And I, I think this was interesting. You said to me that uh, when you got there, there was a much different attitude towards women uh, that you had experienced in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, well, that I had experienced in the second city of Cleveland. The, right. I improvised with a group of guys before that who were wonderful to me. But I just thought, like, at this level, guys couldn't be cool to women. Um, and then I moved here, and, like, being put on that Herald team and then being put in my touring company... Because my, well, I mean, my touring company was also three people from my <laughs> Herald team. So it was Hans, Arch, and Andy. And then I was like, oh, guys can support women. Like, they're not threatened. They weren't threatened by us here, which is super cool. What was going on, you think, in Second City Cleveland that they had that attitude? I think it was a lot of people, again, not being the best versions of themselves and not realizing, like, we're all on an even playing field here. So, like, I was 22, and some of them were in their mid to late 30s. And so some of them were like, well, obviously, I'm, I have more experience than you. I'm better than you, blah, blah, blah. Whereas I started, and I was like, this is square one for all of us. We're all learning this. Um, and Colleen was the same way. So we, we came in very much like, we're a team. And other people came in very much like, we're better than you. And I think that was ultimately a detriment. Now, are you always that forgiving? Like, I love to hold on to resentments and get bitter and stuff like that. But you were like, oh, they weren't, they weren't just a good version of themselves. Um, it took a long time. It took a long time. You know, we were very hurt, but... How do, how do you get through that? Um, did you like therapy or meditate or anything like that? I you... did not. I did not. Um, I just kept performing. I just kept working. 
our attitude was very much like, oh, you think you're better than us at this? Okay, well, we'll show you. We'll just keep working and time will tell. And I mean, I'm so famous, <laughs> so <laughs> I guess it has told. Well, is that a goal, I mean, for you to be famous? Like, if you get famous, you, you, it's going to show them? No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, I want to be a writer. I want to be, I want to work. I want to be happy what I'm doing. So I don't care if, I don't care to be famous. I just want to be, like, doing work that I love and getting paid for it. Now, you stopped touring with Second City after four years, yeah. and then you, you were teaching that. Mm -hmm. What did you like about teaching, teaching improv? Teaching, to me, is, um, and this is the nerdiest way I can put it, but, I mean, the shoe fits, right? So, yeah, she uh, points to the glasses. <laughs> um, I always feel like, on the first day of class, I feel like Willy Wonka ushering the contestants into the chocolate room, you know? Like, when people walk in, and they're like, oh, I'm scared, what is this? And I'm just like, look what it can be. Like, you can do anything. And I, and I think, you know, when I first started improvising, I was 19, I had never had a drink, I was a virgin, I had never done a drug. I would never even, uh, I wasn't allowed to drive on the freeway by myself. <laughs> so. And you, uh, improv got you, you weren't, you lost your virginity. <laughs> you did drugs, you drank, and you drank all because of Improv. Yeah, I turned into like one of the guys from Motley Crue. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 I'm a goody two shoes, and I realized very quickly that when you improvise, there's nothing wrong. So you can play a character that's not a goody two shoes, and nobody will judge you for it. Okay, I understand, because I lost my virginity really late in life. I, and let me just ask you this I understand the drinking and the drugs, because we're around drinking and drugs. But how did it help you lose your virginity? <laughs> I mean, is there an exercise or a game? <laughs> yeah, um, instead of foreplay, I just did bunny bunny for like. <laughs> <laughs> Bunny, 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 bunny. You know, in a little, kind of it could be, right? Right, yeah. But of course, it's all safe touch. Right. If you're going to do it, safe touch. Right. But honestly, was it, what was it that, was it a confidence thing? Let me backtrack by okay. saying, I didn't lose my virginity once I started improvising. But okay. um, I real like, I'm just saying, like, when I started, I was too afraid to have any life experiences because I have an overdeveloped sense of guilt and a need to please people, right? So I couldn't do anything wrong. Um, I, still, I still don't like to do anything wrong. So, um, but when I started improvising, it was on stage that I could be whatever I wanted and there was no guilt attached to it. So it's not that I like got on stage and lost my virginity. <laughs> <laughs> Though I understand there are some shows that you can see like that <laughs> further south. But, um, or in different countries. But, um, you know, I, so it wasn't that. But I, I, like, I very quickly realized, like, I can be whatever I want on stage, and there's no guilt attached to it. I think it's very interesting, because I'm the same way. I don't want to make mistakes in life, yet we choose improv, which is really all about making mistakes. Yeah, isn't it great? <laughs> you, can, you can F up so many times, and it's washed away, and it's brand new. And I, yeah, and I, I just think, for people like me and you, obviously, who have, like, the, and just to try to be a good person in your day-to-day -day life, it's pretty fun to not have to be that 
on stage. How do you do like, okay, so we're, we're going to be doing improv in a couple minutes. How do you... <laughs> I'm gonna, we're, never mind. We're going to what? What are we going to say? It's because I lose my virginity. Okay. <laughs> I think you already have, right? But, it, but have you done it in an improv scene where you lost your virginity? No. Okay, so maybe that's coming. Okay. okay. Um, how, how do you do with making mistakes on stage at this level? I mean, they just make me laugh now. So it's not professional. If we, have a bad, if we have a bad improv scene, uh -huh. how, how do you feel about that? Great. You feel great? I mean, you know. You don't beat yourself up? Afterwards, I'll be like, oh, that could have been better, and that's going to be broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, you know, if you, have a, if you have a weird show, I let it sit with me for a little bit, and then I have to shake it off. Because if, if I didn't bounce back from all the bad stuff, I mean, you know, who would do it? If you can't bounce back from, like, a scene that sh eats shit, you're doomed. Well, we're going to have an opportunity to maybe eat some shit. Yeah, I hope so. Okay. Um, so we're going to do a scene. Um, we're going to take it. What, what do you like to take for a suggestion? Whatever. Okay, great. Could we have a suggestion? Whatever. Whatever you'd like to give us. Cows. Cows. Now, when you hear cows, how do you process that? That. Like, what did it make me think of? Yeah, and how do you use that a suggestion like cows? Cows, my mom, my mom's favorite animal is cows. So when I heard that, I immediately thought of, she used to have this, um, like, this hook that was in our kitchen. And it was just like these little wooden spindle hooks. And uh, there was a, a cow, one of them had a cow print. So that was the first thing I thought of. Okay. was like sitting on, my, on our bench at our dinner table with that cow print behind us. All right, so... That's what you use. So then what do you use that to inspire you in terms of a scene? For some reason, the first thing I thought of was going to, a, to get a, a picture. So I probably just would have gone to get a picture. Okay, great. Let's go. Thanks. I know you were looking for it. Yeah, I, without my glasses, I... Yeah, why aren't you wearing them? Because I'm trying to not... I just want to be pretty. And I... Made a really big mistake when I chose those glasses. <laughs> I feel like they make me look like a machinist. They do a little. I know. You know what? What mom said back there, just, just ignore it, okay? She was always jealous of how you looked. I know, but it's like, if anybody would have come with me, this wouldn't have happened. You know? Yeah. Why are you expected to pick out glasses when you can't see what they look like? <laughs> you know, if she would have just come with me, if you would have come with me. Catherine, I, we kind of, we were hoping that the glasses would make you look ugly. <laughs> we want you to stay here. That's horrible, David, what? We want you to stay here. <laughs> I'm bigger than this farm, David. <laughs> Catherine. We think I'm going to get glasses and then go to the big city and be somebody? And then you'll marry and you'll never come back. I, I know I'm just a step, just stepbrother and sister, but I've always been attracted to you. <laughs> David, we can't do that. I went to the courthouse and they, they said we could. You can't go to the courthouse before you go to me. Catherine, 
I loved you. I, I loved you when you first moved into this house when you were 14 and I was only 12. <laughs> I used to masturbate about it. Kevin! <laughs> David! <laughs> who's Kevin? Who's Kevin? Catherine, who's Kevin? He's the person I used to masturbate about. <laughs> oh. Kevin, the quarterback? Yes. Fuck. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Look, David, this... I hate that guy. <laughs> this isn't about him, and it's not about Mom. It's about us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this can't be. Oh, yeah. Yes, it can. I don't care what that paper says. Put it back in your pocket. No, I'm not going to put it back. It says two step brother and sister can get married. It's signed by the county clerk. And I got this too. A ring. I went to Lambert's jeweler store. They got it engraved. How can this be wrong when it feels so right? <laughs> you always thought I was funny. Catherine? Catherine, would you marry me? Three things. Okay? One, no. Two, even if I wanted to, we've never dated. We've lived in the same house for like 20 years. That's different. <laughs> really? Yes. I know a lot more about you than someone that I would date. I, I know it takes you 20 minutes to take a shower. I know that you dry off from your feet all the way up. Why do you know that one? <laughs> Why do you know that one? Because I drilled a hole in the wall and I could look at it. Oh my God, David. That's love. That's love. You don't think it's creepy. That is you being a stone cold perv. That is not love. I'm glad we're getting this out before we get married. David. I mean, what would the neighbors think? What would mom think? Is that what it is? You care about what other people think? I mean, lawmakers. First of all, I've asked mom and she gave us our blessing. What? Yes. She wants to have the wedding right here at the church. She's got everybody from the church. They're going to make something. So let me get this straight. Yes. You two let me pick out ugly ass glasses. Yes. So I would stay here in the hopes that I would marry you? Yes. It's working, right? <laughs> I love you, Catherine. I can't masturbate to anything. Stop! <laughs> Those things that you listed off, that's not love. That's just you knowing facts about me. You know? Okay. I, mean, I know that you're allergic to shellfish. That doesn't mean not I love you. Not many people know that. You should tell more people. <laughs> I mean, it's just dangerous. Dangerous in a good way? No, I mean, what if you go to a restaurant and you ask for french fries, but they fried shrimp in it? You're in trouble. <laughs>
I would eat shellfish for you. I wouldn't ask you to. <laughs> I don't have an EpiPen. Why would I want you to do that? Because that's love. No, that's not that love. That is love. No, that's fear factor. <laughs> I'm taking a risk today. You can go back, you, you, you can leave in a couple days and pretend this didn't happen. Yeah. What am I going to do? Work at Dad's store? Yes, you work at Dad's store. That's what you do. I'm going to design denim in the city. <laughs> I wasn't meant to work at a hardware store. We could move out of this town. We don't have to live in this town. I, I could move to the city. That way nobody would know. You want? I want to drink out of your glass. Like when we were kids. What, did they tell you at the courthouse that that means we're married? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just give me a little sip. David, get a glass. I can't, I can't just rush into marrying you. I think, I think you're totally attracted to me. Why? Because the way you're looking at me. Disgust? <laughs> okay, fine. All I'm right, disgust was a harsh word. Yeah. You want to hurt me because it's hard for you to leave. Like when we were kids and you'd go to camp, you'd always get in a fight with me. So do it right now. There's a lot of people in this town that would marry me. Okay. But I don't want them. I want you. But you should want them. Imagine what the Brady Bunch would have been like if Greg and Marsha got married. It would have been fucked up. <laughs> Maybe it would have stayed on the air for a couple days. <laughs> oh, Take this ring back and just think about it. Please? Put it on, according to the county clerk. <laughs> this town has weird laws about it. <laughs>
we made mistakes here, we didn't make mistakes here, we could have heightened anything? Um, I mean, you know, there's always that fork in the road where I was like, should I say yes to this? Where was the fork? Um, the fork was when you, the fork to me was when you handed me the piece of paper. And I could have, you know, gone either way with it. Originally, that was a ring. I know. I said, as soon as I said paper, I was like, oh, he's got a ring in his hand. So and what then, do you do in I a situation you, like that? You, I just go ahead and agree with you because I'm yeah. like, okay, I, 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 can, I can have a piece of paper and a ring. Yeah, I know? trusted that you were going to fix it because yeah. I saw, I, like, you went like this and I, I was like, oh, that's a ring. <laughs> it's like it's, I, it was almost one of those things where I was like, take that piece of paper and I was trying to pull it back but I couldn't get right. back in there. Okay. I wish happened. I would have played a little more character because if the guy's going to be creepy, I think if I played a little more character, I would have given myself more room to be creepy. I mean, you said some pretty creepy things. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I would have said all of that stuff in my real life. <laughs> now we're going to take some questions and answers from the audience. Great. Okay, how's the voice? Cause you... It's okay. It's okay. holding up okay. Okay, great. Because you were sick you, and you're on antibiotics? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, all right, great. Uh, we've got some questions uh, for uh, what we just did or for Dana. So if you have a question, just put your hand up and we will call on you and then you can... Great, right here, Tom? Yeah, are you under pressure on to move to Los Angeles at this stage of career? Um, that's hilarious because I, I literally almost moved to Los Angeles in February. Um, this was this is a great story. You almost moved to Los Angeles uh -huh. with Colleen. Uh -huh. That's part of the pack. Yeah. And what happened? Um, so we were gonna go uh, in September. We had planned like, okay, we're gonna go. And then Colleen got cast in that show Trap at the Mission Theater. Uh huh. And then so she was like, well, I'm gonna do this for a little bit. And then I was like, great. So I'll just take some more classes. Um, when you say take, teach more. Teach classes. more classes. And then so I had agreed to like writing a holiday show for Second City, teaching some um, writing and improv classes. And then, uh, so those are eight-week terms, which would bring me up to the new year. And then Colleen, like, September 15th was like, we're going in October, okay? And I was like, no, I can't. Uh, so I um, was like, well, okay, well, I'm going to go in the new year. And then I started freelancing at this ad firm, and um, they kept asking me back, like, for another week. And we come work, come work, come work, come work. So I was like, okay. And, and when you say you were doing creative, like writing copywriting, coming yeah. up with commercials and yeah. Okay. And so uh, I left for Thanksgiving to go to Cleveland, and then I came back, and my my whole family like at Thanksgiving was like, do you think they'll make this permanent? And I was like, no. So many people from Second City and I'll come in and work with them that like, I just I can't get my heart set on it. And then when I got back. Um, literally the day I got back from Thanksgiving break, they were like, we'd like to hire you here. And so I was like, oh. And the way, um, it was Sue Gillen, who, if you don't know who Sue Gillen is, she's a genius. She's just amazing. And uh, she was like, um, why don't you make some money, save it, and then move to L.A. with a little bit of security? So I was like, okay. So she's like, well, when was your original departure date? And I was like, February. <laughs> she was like, why don't you stay for like a year, a year and a half? make some money, and then go there stable. And I was like, cool. Well, and she has experience because she went out there and tried it. <coughs> so, she, I mean, she knows what she's talking about. Yeah. She's, I mean, she's amazing. She's really great and super talented. And funnily enough, um, Sue was on one of the shows that Colleen and I used to watch, um, Slaughterhouse-Five Cattle Zero, which is one of my favorite mainstay titles shows, and yeah. mainstay shows ever. Um, so, like, flashback 20, 25 years ago. 
<laughs> it, was, it was like 12, 12 years ago or whatever. Um, uh, Colleen and I like idolized her, and then later I got to work with her, and then she gave me this life-changing opportunity. Great. Another question? Great. Right here? So it sounds like you've been apart from Colleen for a while. How are you adjusting with that? <laughs> um, I feel like half my heart is gone. And she's the best person. I, you know, she's just so lovely and talented and a diehard friend. Like, she's just a fierce, fierce friend. Um, and I think I just quoted Dumbledore. <laughs> just, um, Let me check with my wife. She, is, she knows all the Lauren, Harry Potter. Lauren? Cedric Diggory was a fierce, fierce friend, right? I just with it, yeah. completely do, do quoted Dumbledore. Do we know Dumbledore. which, which uh, Harry Potter that was from? It was book four. Okay. Book four. Actually, the best of the series. I disagree. I think Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> Anyways, but uh, yeah, so I, I feel like I feel like uh, half my heart is in L.A. How important it is to have that kind of support when you, when you do this kind of work? The most important. Um, because the thing about her is, like I can give you, this is my favorite thing about Colleen, and I, and I think it was a number of years ago, but it, I think it sums up our friendship perfectly. Um, so I was dating a guy, and I had gotten cheated on. And the girl... An improviser? Yeah. <laughs> Such a small community, isn't it? And this was in Cleveland. And, okay, uh, great. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, we were at a party, and the girl... <laughs> the girl I, I was there, and she was leaving, and I was like, Oh, you go, are you leaving so soon? And she turned around, and she was like, Yeah, I'm going to go. And she sassed me. And Colleen, like, God, this is the fucking best. Colleen, see, F-words when they're important. So Colleen, like, kind of pushed me back out of the way and screamed to this girl, yeah, you got to go home and suck some more dick. Can I just say, that's what friends are for, for good times and bad times. She, I mean, she just was like, I'll handle this. And just... Which, I mean, looking back, like, I'm actually friends with the guy, and I'm friends with the girl, and, you know, like, I hope, if you're listening, sorry about that, but... Um, <laughs> I think at the time, they just weren't their better selves. They weren't their best selves, yeah, that's very Great. true. Great, another question, right here? Um, now that you kind of have a little more stability, is the temptation there to fall, fall back on that? And, and if so, how do, you, how do you ward that off, I guess? Um, I think the... There's just a part of me that doesn't feel like myself if I'm not writing or performing. So during the day, I work in a great place. Molly, I work with Molly. She's over there. She's super cool. Hi, Molly. She's sitting next to Allison, who's also super cool. Um, and and I, I just wouldn't feel like myself if I... Like right now, I haven't written that much um, of my own stuff in a, in a couple of months, and I'm starting to get like nervous about it. So I think I just, I, I have that thing inside me that's like, you, this is great what you're doing. It's really fun there. We order a ton of takeout. But like, <laughs> Are you guys doing bits all the time? Yes. Okay. All the time. Um, and so it's really fun workplace, but I think there's still that, like, if I, if I don't do a show, I just don't feel like myself. So that, that I don't think it ha has happened to me. And I hope it doesn't. Great. Molly, you had a question? I did. Um, who would be your kind of dream team improv team? Like anybody, anybody. Anybody at all? Ever. Okay. Okay. 
And there's no limit. Okay, Mother Teresa. <laughs> because of her object work? I mean... <laughs> You know, but you know she's supportive. <laughs> um, uh, I think I think Amy Poehler, Rachel Dratch, uh, Sue, Tammy Sager, um, Andy St. Clair, Hans Holzen. If you guys don't know Hans Holzen, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> um, Baltz, Rotterman, Robinson. All basically, truly, everybody I toured with. Um, and a couple of famous people. Like, my touring companies were amazing. I had the most fun. I don't know that I could put together a better dream team. Because I toured with, like, Brendan Jennings, Mark Rotterman, Tim Robinson, Michael Bryan, um, Shelly Gossman, Megan Humpty, Mary Stone, Rebecca Hansen. Like, these are all the people that I would, you know, put together if I could. Truly, like, the funniest people in the world I got to tour with. And what is that one quality that, that, that if you could boil it down from all those people that have, that you, that you look for in a, an improviser? This is going to sound like a huge cliche. Okay. But good people. Good people are good improvisers. And if they aren't good people, they can't be good improvisers. It's just a rule. Why is that, you think? Because I think you have to... I think TJ... Jaganowski said that when I was a student, and I completely bought into it. Because, you know, good people are forgiving, and they are giving. They know when it's their turn to talk, when it's their turn to listen. They're gracious, they're supportive, they're helpful. You know, they, like, they make you the most important person. Like, I think if you see an improviser who isn't a good person, they, they don't last long here. The improv community finds a way of, like, getting them out. Yep. We've got to wrap this up. This has just been so much fun. Well, it's been what is one piece of advice that you would give to an improviser starting out today? Um, I think, you know, I really think that right now there's this, like, need to do as many things as quickly as possible, right? There's this pressure. Second City's got the boats, and there's um, they're hiring so much younger and all of those things. And I think... Two things come of that that are a detriment. I think the first one is that you don't get to, like if you do a show and then you have to leave and go do another show, you're not bonding with the people that you did that first show with. There's not that sense of like teamwork and community. And I think you miss out on that. You know, like, it's so, it's like so silly, but like have a, party with your team and like hang out with them and get to a point where you know you're embracing the things that are happening as they're happening right you're not like running from one place to the next and just like it's a busy schedule and then you burn out and I think the other one is don't have a sense of entitlement this world does not owe you anything and I don't mean that in a cold way I mean that in the way of like I've worked for 15 years I didn't get main stage in Chicago and, you know, it took me a long time to be like, well, why not me? And then to answer myself with, because it wasn't meant to be. Like, it, like you know what I mean? Like, it, it just was so much of like, hey, what about me? Instead of me being like, this is happening for a reason and you'll do something. Like, something's going to happen for you. And it did. And it's happening. Do you have any regrets that you didn't get main stage? I don't think that's my regret to have. Okay, can I hold on to it for yeah. you? Yeah. 
I think, you know, I think if, if that, it, I don't think that comes from me because I did a ton of work for them and I, you know, would probably, like an idiot, do it again. You know, I was a workhorse for them. And did you get any, did you have any bitterness or any like, it's owed to me and then you were able to let that go? Because that place is very hard not to have it. There, wa there were times when I was like, that should have been me. Um, and how do you get over that? You just realize that, like, who, who am I? <laughs> like, I don't mean to sound that in a way of, like, I'm nobody. I just mean, like, I don't make those decisions. Who am I? I'm, all I can do is the work I do. And if they don't recognize it, then that's okay. I'll find a way to get recognized for the ability I have. And that doesn't mean being famous. That means, like, I'm going to keep working hard. And somebody's going to need to staff a writer's room. And they're going to be like, this girl works, and we want this girl to work for us. Dana, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you. And there you have it. Another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. I want to thank our guest, Dana Curcioli. Oh, I love what you talked about Disney World. And if I went to Disney World, I would actually be more interested in going underneath in the tunnels than any of the rides. I, I want to thank our host here, the people that treat us like such rock stars. And, of course, I'm talking about Stage 773 here in Chicago. Also, my producer, Dan Schiffmacher. He's the one who makes me sound so slick and so professional. If it wasn't for Dan, you wouldn't be hearing my voice right now. If you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv classes here in Chicago, The Art of Slow Comedy, and to sign up for our newsletter and my improv Improv Nerd blog. Each week I will send you a new blog that will make you a better improviser and a better person. Well, the better person thing is up to you. Uh, also, all you need to do is go to jimmycorain.com. That's jimmycorain.com. I got a little excited there. Also, we are taking over social media, and we started with Facebook. So go to the Improv Nerd Facebook page and like us. It really helps with my low self-esteem. Follow us over at Twitter, Improv underscore Nerd, and then subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, also, uh, we are on Feral Audio. Uh, Feral Audio is a podcast collective. We're not alone there. There's some of the most innovative and unique podcasts out there. People like Dan Harmon and Todd Berry and Steve Agee and Matt Dwyer and Chelsea Peretti. So check that out, feralaudio.com. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor today, Under the Gun Theater in Chicago. So check out Improv Boot Camps at underthegunntheater.com. That's underthegunntheater.com. And, of course, I want to thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Hello, I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior. 
Happening Discotech. Remember when we called clubs <laughs> discotechs? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh, my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. <laughs> Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, he spots his dear friend who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. Oh, my God. <laughs> 